Amen and amen. We invite you to have a seat and open up the Word of God with me to Luke's Gospel. We'll be in chapter 11. Luke 11, it is good to be in the house of the Lord and good to see so many of you here. Uh, We have had just a wonderful month of January in terms of attendance, which is pretty cool. You know, we have a lot of, I know that it's kind of a new year time, like new year, new you. Maybe some of you made some new commitments, but we've also had a lot of guests with us. We've just been really, really happy to have each of you who've come and joined us for worship. And it's been really cool to see what God is doing through his word as we've been studying through Luke's gospel together for a pretty long time now. Some of you uh, have laughed over the uh, months as they're like, wow, we've been in Luke a while because we kind of have branded it as different series and God has been teaching us different things through the gospel of Luke, but we've been in the gospel of Luke now for over a year and God has just been teaching us so many things and I love how timely the word of God is. And we're going to see that here in the coming weeks as I think the word is going to address some very specific things to us as a church and just to us as a community and as a nation right now. Uh, It is just the word of God is on point. Can I just say it that way? God is going to be teaching us some things and it's really cool to see how he in in his sovereignty works it out for us to be at the right place at the right time to hear the word that he has for us. It's pretty awesome. But now let's hang out together in Luke 11. What do you say? We're in a series that we've been calling Hear and Do. And what we're talking about is what it means to not only read, study, and learn the word of God, but we want to be people who let the word of God actually transform our lives. You see, there's a difference between hearing the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, studying the Word of God, even teaching the Word of God, and letting the Word of God transform us and make, it who, make us who God wants us to be. We talked last week about the danger of uh, reality is you can be involved in spiritual disciplines in your life. God's been teaching us about developing those, but you can develop spiritual practices in your life. You can do the spiritual disciplines. You can know the word. You can be in the right spots at the right time, yet it's possible to do all of those things, yet not really be engaging with Jesus in a way that he changes you. That's concerning for me, and I hope that it is for you today as we start this message. We know this is the case because we read our Bibles, and here in the Gospels, you're going to see multiple times that Jesus is having this dialogue with the religious leaders of his day, and he's telling them that the reality is they may think that they've got all of their stuff together, but they are actually far from the kingdom of God. There's a word that we use to describe this, and that word is hypocrite. When you hear that word, doesn't it make you just kind of cringe a little bit? The word hypocrite is a word that that we, it immediately draws up and conjures up images in our heads and our hearts. And uh, the the word hypocrite and hypocrisy itself draws the ire and frustration of people all over the world. This is a universal thing that really ticks us off, isn't it? When we see hypocrisy, whether it be in Capitol Hill or Hollywood or your house, it bothers us. In fact, many people today who are unchurched would say the number one reason they don't attend church is that the church is, quote, full of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that said? 
The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word that literally means actor. And the Greek uh, version of an actor wasn't like us today where you just wear some different clothes, but almost always they had a mask. It's the concept of an actor who uses a mask to play a different role. So when we think about being a hypocrite in terms of following Christ, what we're saying is that we are putting on a mask and we are playing a part. The danger for us today is that we can find ourselves playing a part and spending all of our time, energy, and effort playing a part instead of seeking the Savior who can make us into who he wants us to be. Because let's just be real honest today, church. That that charge that the church is full of hypocrites, let me just tell you, 100% that's correct. 100%. In fact, many of you today came in wearing your masks. How many of you today on the way to church were arguing with your spouse? How many of you today were yelling at the kids when you were trying to get them ready today? How many of you have struggled this week and maybe even had some real serious doubts about your faith? Yet we all came this morning when the greeters opened the door and walked in and said, Hey, how you doing? We uttered what has become one of the greatest lies in the modern world today. We said, Fine. Right? Hey, you, you, we've talked about this. Some of us after first service had a good time chatting about this. You really want to mess people up when they ask you how you're doing, tell them how you're really doing. <laughs> right? People are not prepared for that. That is just a, you know, that's just a pleasantry. <laughs> I didn't really mean to ask how you're doing, right? It becomes obvious if you share how you're really doing. But we all just go through life saying, I'm good, we're fine, everything's great, when we know that in reality it's not. So again, we want to be careful because there's a danger of working so hard to pretend that we never actually are transformed by the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. So the call today, as we'll see in this text, is to be people who take the mask off The good news of the gospel is that you don't have to pretend anymore. That Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has given you everything you need to come to Jesus just as you are, as we sang a moment ago, and let him transform you today. So let's read the word and then we'll pray together and ask for God's help as we study this text. We're in Luke 11 and we're going to start here in verse 37. The word of God says this. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you were full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you. For you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And Jesus said, Woe to you, lawyers also, 
For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As Jesus went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. This sermon is not called How to Win Friends and Influence People, clearly. But I think God has a very, very important word for us today. So let's pray and ask for his help as we dive in. Lord Jesus, we come to you asking you to do what only you can do in these moments together. Uh, God, uh, the, the cleverness of man and even my preparation cannot make this happen, but your Holy Spirit can speak to hearts today. So as we just teach your word and as we look at it together and expound upon it and make sense of these words, Lord, I pray that your truth would settle into our hearts and souls in a way that actually changes us. We don't want to just hear, but we want to be people who are transformed so that we can do. Thank you for what you're going to do today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we come today to a very confrontational passage, obviously, and I don't want to soften that at all, but I do really quickly want to point out to you the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, here in this passage. It's astounding to me that a Pharisee reaches out in the midst of this dialogue, the same uh, sermons we've preached the last two weeks, in the midst of this same conversation, a Pharisee says, hey, why don't you come eat with me? And Jesus says yes. Now we've talked about this before, but in Jewish culture, sharing a meal together was almost sacred. Hospitality was one of the defining marks of Jewish culture. So it was a big deal, regardless of his intentions, that this Pharisee reached out and said, Jesus, do you want to come eat? And Jesus responded and said yes. I think it's incredible that Jesus knew he is walking into a group of people who have publicly and privately criticized his ministry. And he, if, again, remember the Bible says that he knew all the thoughts and hearts of men, right? So Jesus knew what he is walking into, yet he accepts this invitation because he desires for them to hear the gospel and be changed. I love this, and I don't want you to miss what's happening here. I think we very often end up kind of pitting the religious leaders against Jesus. It's real easy to do. I've heard pastors do that before. You know, Jesus was the only people Jesus ever really got after were the religious people. That's a real popular thing to say today. But what I want you to see is that more often than not, we see Jesus having grace for even those religious people. Why is that? Because Jesus loves the least of these Luke has gone out of his way to point to Jesus going after the marginalized, those that society rejects. But hey, can I just tell you something real quick, y'all? The religious leaders are also the least of these, 
religious people in the room, you are also the least of these. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you too. Aren't you glad for that today? That even though we were enemies of God, not unlike the Pharisees, the moment that we say, I'm ready, Jesus is there. Isn't that astounding today? So Jesus has accepted this invitation, and it's a really odd situation, but there is Jesus, uh, who the Pharisees have, again, publicly and privately criticized. But Jesus goes, and he is sharing a meal. And as he's sharing, they walk in, and the Pharisees go to doing this uh, religious ritual of cleansing their hands. So Jesus just sits down, and it says the Pharisee was shocked that Jesus did not first wash his hands. Now, hygiene warriors in the room, you're like, yeah, that is gross. Jesus, get you some Germex, bro, right? But this isn't about hygiene. Instead, this was a religious purification thing. They had to like pour water over each hand a certain amount of times and do it a very specific way. It was a very complicated ordeal. And I love that Jesus just goes in and sits down and says, what are we having, guys? I love that. So they're shocked. And Jesus uses this opportunity as they confront him to lovingly challenge them on some things. Now, again, we just talked about, man, Jesus has so much grace. And then you're like, hey, Rusty, did you uh, read those red letters there? Doesn't sound like a lot of grace to me. But here's the thing. Jesus was full of grace, John 1 tells us, but also full of truth. I think in our culture, we've been bought into the lie that, well, you know, it's just really hard to balance grace and truth. You know, when do you have grace and when do you have truth? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about Jesus balancing grace and truth. He was full of grace, but also full of truth. Just a side note, can I just tell you, sometimes the most loving thing you can do and the most compassionate thing you can do is tell someone the truth. It's not popular in our culture. You can only love people if you're affirming everything they do today. But sometimes the most loving thing you can do is be honest with people and tell them the truth. So Jesus has gone into their house, he's sitting there, he's uh, about to eat lunch, and they're shocked, and he tells them this, not to call them out, not to put them in their place, but again to invite them to an opportunity to be changed. He tells the Pharisees, you guys are working so hard to clean the outside of the cup, yet the inside is filthy. It says you guys are like an unmarked tomb saying that there's death all around and you don't even know it. You're walking over graves because you don't know that death is there. Essentially saying you think you're alive, but you're not. Then there are the religious lawyers. These lawyers were not lawyers like we think of lawyers, but rather they were experts in the Old Testament and religious laws. They were experts in the sacrificial system. They were religious lawyers. And one of my favorite verses is in verse 45 where they were like, "Uh, teacher, hold on a second. You might offend us if you keep this up. And Jesus is like, oh, you want some? Let's go, lawyers, right? And then again, he lovingly is challenging them. And he, he says, you guys are putting burdens on people that no one can bear, not even you. You're making requirements up that no one can actually accomplish, not even yourselves. And then really in a very damning statement in verse 52, he says, you did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. He says, you're not actually walking with God and you have hindered others from being able to walk with God. This is a very, very confrontational word that he's given them. 
It's a heavy conversation, and there's a lot happening here. We could probably spend a lot of time doing that. But instead, what I want us to do is kind of zoom out a little bit and look at a couple big truths that need to change the way we think about hearing and doing. And then we'll apply these to our lives. The first truth we need to see is this. Religion can't save us. Religion can't save us. This passage makes that abundantly clear. Why? Because this was the cream of the crop when it came to religious folks. The Pharisees were very serious about following the commands of the Lord. How serious were they? They had these religious lawyers who it was their job to tell them to make sure they were doing it right. And the Pharisees were famous not just for trying to follow the, uh, the commandments of God, but they would have the commandments of God. And because they so desperately wanted to follow the commands of God, they made even some broader boundaries around that that they made into law within their religious system that would stop you from getting here. So if I'm not supposed to go to the back door, I'm going to put a fence right here, right? So they had all these boundaries and extra laws that they had come up with, things that you might would say, wow, that is super spiritual. These guys are serious about their faith. You read about the, the way they would dress and uh, the way they would keep the Shema, that a passage in Deuteronomy, and boxes on their wrists and their forehead. Like these were serious, serious-minded people who in their own heads and hearts really thought they were serious about pursuing God, pursuing the Lord. Yet all it took was a conversation with Jesus to reveal that they were actually far from the kingdom of God. Isn't this a little bit concerning today, church? I think it should be for us. This reveals that it's possible for us to look religious, to have all of our ducks in a row, to show up, to be in the right spot at the right time, to do all the right things, say all the right things, even be in leadership within a church yet not really know the transformative power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Jesus came to lunch with you today, would you even know him? Would you even know him? Jesus says it this way in verse 39. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but on the inside you were full of greed and wickedness. Jesus goes on to pronounce these woes. Now, these woes are almost like the opposite of the Beatitudes. Do you remember the Beatitudes? Blessed is the person who does this. Blessed is this person. Blessed are you when this. This is the opposite. This is uh, saying that you are in danger when you are living this way. In fact, in the first service, I told them that these woes should make us stop and say W-O-A-H. Like, whoa, hang on a minute. If these characteristics are in our lives, which I think if we're honest, they kind of are, it should give us pause and it should make us stop and evaluate our own lives. Jesus said to the Pharisees, woe to you who work really hard to maintain the outside, yet on the inside it's full of filth. It's far from me. There's no life. And he says to the lawyers, woe to you who try to appear religious. You're actually making it more difficult for people to enter into the kingdom of God. Friends, I think we fall into this far more easily than we realize today. In a world where image is everything, 
we find ourselves working really, really hard to maintain the outward appearance of our lives, to be good Christians doing good Christian things, trying to make sure that everyone around us sees those good Christian things. But Jesus really gets to the heart of the matter in verse 42, and he says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Now, friends, don't get this twisted. Uh, A lot of people, in fact, I would say my generation in particular is like, yeah, yeah, all those commands. It's just about love and justice. That's what Jesus is about. Read on. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you should have done those without neglecting these, right? So all of the commands of God are important, and we need to be mindful of those. But here's what Jesus, I think, is getting at. There are some commands that are actually easy to do from an external perspective, right? That they don't really require the heart change. But when it comes down to it, let's be honest, loving your neighbor requires a heart change, doesn't it? Having a heart for the people around you, a heart for justice requires a heart change, doesn't it? So here's how this works itself out in our lives today. I think that we can find ourselves coming to church regularly, trying to be good people, serving and attending special events, maybe even getting in a life group. Some of you get desperate enough to tithe, right? Like we're doing all these things. We're really trying to be good. We're trying to check off all the right boxes. But at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, If we were honest today, we're not really experiencing Jesus. We don't have a love for Jesus. We don't have a love for the people around us. And Jesus would would say, you shouldn't neglect those other things we talked about. But if it doesn't start with a heart for me and a heart for people, then you're not actually going to be able to accomplish my mission. Is anyone else a little uncomfortable this morning? (laughs) Do you see how this can happen in our lives more quickly than we think? I try to be a good guy. I, I try to do the right things and be in the right spots at the right time and develop the right spiritual disciplines. But all the while, sometimes I catch myself not really thinking about Jesus and not really thinking about others, instead of loving God and loving people, I'm trying to keep score of my good deeds so that I can feel good about myself. That's dangerous for us. You know why it's dangerous? You can always find somebody worse than you. Oh, trust me, I'm looking around. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. This is what we do, though, isn't it? Like if we want to feel good about ourselves, we try to do enough to to feel superior to others so we feel good about ourselves. Friends, can I tell you something? The standard is not your neighbor. The standard is not your family. The standard is not your friends. The standard is not the people across the pew from you. The standard is God's righteousness. And the Bible tells us that every single one of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only hope we have is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is calling us out today, lovingly challenged, full of grace, but also full of truth. 
And he says, woe to those who are working to clean the outside of the cup while the inside is full of wickedness. Here's the problem for us, though. I know us, and some of you are convicted right now, and you're thinking, wow, this word's for me. Like, he's right. I am faking it. The inside is full of greed and wickedness and sinfulness. I got to do something about it. So you're going to go home and try to get, like, some superpower stuff to clean the inside of the cup, right? And what do we do when we realize, like, wow, my heart is far from the Lord? What do we try to do to fix that? Oddly enough, let's do more religion. <laughs> Maybe I need another Bible study. Maybe I, next week I'm going to both services, right? Well, I'm going to do something because I've got to fix this. So we just try and try and try, but it doesn't work. The bad news for us is that the inside of our cup is just like Pastor Bob's coffee cup. He rinses it out like once a week, whether it needs it or not. Those stains are set in. Are set in. The only hope we have, friends, is Jesus. No good works you can do, no amount of trying to clean up your own life is going to fix it. But I brought some good news for you today. What if that was the end of the message? Thanks, y'all have a good week. <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> there is good news. And the good news is that religion can't save us, but Jesus saves. We jumped ahead. I did say heart change three or four times, but we jumped ahead. Y'all know my next point already. Dead coming. I'm leaving. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus saves. And, and this message is for every single person today. Jesus saves. We've talked a lot about Jesus going after the outcast, Jesus saving the least of these, Jesus pursuing the lost at all cost. But here again is the beautiful reminder that Jesus is even in the business of saving the religious people who think they're okay because of their good works. But if you think you're okay because of your good works, you need to know that you are just as hopeless and lost as the wild sinners out there. But praise God, he loves us enough that even though we were rebels against him, that when we open up that seat in our heart and invite Jesus to come eat with us, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Yep. And we open that door and we let Jesus into our lives. An amazing thing happens. He transforms us. He does what religion could never do. He did what sermons could never do. He did what your religious activity and performance could never do. He saved you. He saved you. All of our stains are gone. You've been scrubbing and scrubbing and trying and trying, but Jesus, with the moment we give our lives to him, in that moment, our sins are gone and we are completely transformed by his grace. I want us to understand how this happens and how this leads to change in our lives. Because some of you love this sermon to this point. Yeah, that's right. It's not about doing all those things, right? Some of you are like, freedom, right? <laughs> you need to hear that God wants to transform your life so they can transform every part of your life. But how do we do what God wants us to do? Yeah. First, we've got to see that following Jesus starts with that heart change. Following Jesus starts with the heart change. 
Until Jesus has changed your heart, none of our religious activities are going to help. I love what verse 41 says. Jesus said, but give as alms, give as an offering those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Don't you love that? Jesus says, I don't need your good works. I don't need your religious performance. Just bring me your heart. I just want your heart. Offer me your heart, and I will clean up what you can never clean up yourself. Friends, this is a beautiful invitation from Jesus. He is inviting the hypocrites that we are to take off our masks and to bring him our hearts. And when we do, he stands ready to save and radically transform our hearts and our lives. But until we've experienced this heart change, we will not be able to fulfill the mission that God has called us to. So there's two groups of people in here that need to hear this truth today. Some of you don't know Jesus, and you've been trying this church thing, you've been trying to do all this. You need to know that this isn't where it's at unless your heart's been changed. Your heart has to be changed by the love of Jesus. And if you don't know him today, he stands ready to save your soul this very day. And we've been praying for you that you would make a decision to follow Jesus. But there's another group of people in here who need to hear this truth as well. And that's those who have made the decision to follow Jesus. But for some reason in our culture, I don't know why we do this, but, but if your experience is like mine growing up in the church, we get saved and we're like, amen, we're saved by grace through faith. Praise God. Amen. No works of your own. Now, boy, it's time to get to work. Jesus saved you, so now it's time for you to get to doing things. Has anybody tried that? It doesn't work out because you're the same broken, messed up. Even though Jesus has saved you, you're still walking around in the fallen world. Can I just tell you that the same grace, the same faith that saves us has to be the faith that allows us to grow? Some of you in here have been saved. You have called out and Jesus has saved you and he's your savior today. But you need a heart change to remember that Jesus wants you to walk with him on a day-by-day-by-day-by-day basis. And until you have that heart change, your religious activity isn't going to help you fulfill the mission that God's called you to. Following Jesus starts with a heart change. This is the starting point for us today. Jesus doesn't want your good works. He wants your heart. But when Jesus has your heart the good works flow naturally out of a heart surrendered to Jesus. Our next truth is this. Let me say it this way. A changed heart leads to a changed life. A changed heart leads to a changed life. This is where we come back to this concept of hearing and doing the word of God. Hearing means that we receive the word of God, but once we receive the word of God, we have to actually let it do its work. Let it transform our lives, and then we do what God's called us to do. This is that inside-out transformation that we've been talking about. We hear, we're changed, and we do. We hear, we're changed, and we do. And the Pharisees, and so many of us today, if we're honest, get this out of order. 
We've bought into the religious lie that says if I do enough good things, if I work hard enough on the outside, that somewhere along the way the inside will follow. So we work really hard, again, to do the right things, say the right things, and we live in a culture that has taught us how to look like a Christian, talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, and do Christian things. So we do all of this, and we try to do it in an effort to have our hearts somewhere along the way catch up. This is why people have said to me many, many times in my ministry, well, I'm going to come to Jesus, but i got to get some things right in my life first. Problem, you're not going to be able to get things right in your life until you come to Jesus. And Christ followers in this room, some of you are wanting to be more of who Jesus wants you to be. You're wanting to grow in your faith like you've never grown before, but you feel like there's some things you need to take care of first. Friends, the only one who can help you take care of that is Jesus. So the call is to come to Jesus, let him transform you through his word, through messages, through the ministry, and let that happen. And when you're transformed, then we are enabled to do. But so many of us never get there because guess what happens? We try, we try, we try, we fail, we fail, we fail. So you know what we do? We put on the masks. We bring the masks out. Because we don't want anyone to know that we're not doing well. So we put on our masks. And some of us have gotten pretty good at this. You know, we have kiddos and I've seen kiddos playing around. You know, they make masks sometimes and come up in a costume and they say, guess what I am? And I'm like, you're a something? Tiger. Yep, you're a tiger. I knew it. You know, right? Because you can't tell what it is. Some of you, you get to a point in your life where your mask is falling all to pieces and everybody knows you're faking it. Can I tell you, that's actually God's grace that allows us to get to that point. But some of you have gotten so good that you're wearing a mask and nobody even knows it. You work so hard to play the part all the time that nobody even knows that isn't you. You've actually lost who you really are in the role that you have started playing. Friends, can I just... Can we just be honest with each other and admit that that kind of hypocrisy is absolutely exhausting? Pretending and keeping up that kind of charade is exhausting. And it wears on our hearts and souls. And we were not created to hide. We were created to have intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. And as long as you're faking it, that's not going to happen. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus stands ready to radically transform our lives if we'll just take off the mask today. If we'll be honest enough with each other to say, I'm not okay. If we'll be willing to say that I'm struggling because when we get to that point, when we have a heart that is transformed, Then we let Jesus in and he begins to help us, heal us, and lead us. And that changed heart leads to a changed life. Friends, what would it look like if we got real with each other? What if we came to church? You know, I I wonder, you know, you look in the book of Acts 
and you look in the New Testament church, those are some really messed up people. Talk about comparing. I feel real good about our church when I read the New Testament church sometimes, right? Some messed up people. But God also moved in incredible ways that, that we can't even seem to imagine happening in 2020. People always say, well, why didn't God move like he used to? Why didn't God move like he did in the New Testament church? And I think there's reasons that you've heard me talk about before. But you know, one reason I think God moved in the New Testament church is those people were unashamedly real and messed up. They had to have God's help. But look at all of us good-looking church people in here today. We all came with our masks on, getting dressed up, zipped up my vest. We all came, we all said fine, we got our donuts and coffee and came and sat down. Do we really need God's presence today? No one's gonna say we don't. But are you living your life and showing up here desperate to encounter the Lord? What if we were to come next Sunday and be who we really are? What if we were to come and say, it has been a rough week. The world has beat me up and beat me down. I've been struggling. I'm broken. I'm hurting. Some of you are going to come say, I actually had a really good week and I want to celebrate. What if we all came in just as we are, as the song said, and came to worship next Sunday and said, God, we need your presence. We cannot do church without your presence. Could I tell you what happens if we started becoming people who came to church without our masks? Crossroad would become a church. Wouldn't that be cool? Guys, this is so freeing, and I know this is weird, and some of you are like, I've been too honest with you telling you you got to be honest with each other, and you're uncomfortable right now. I can feel it. But until we do this, we will not be who God wants us to be. We will not be able to truly experience love for God and love for people, because here's the beauty of the gospel. We try to pretend because we're afraid that we're not enough instead of just recognizing that we're not enough. But here's the beautiful thing about that. We don't like to be vulnerable. No, none of us like this vulnerable feeling. But the beautiful thing is that when we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, he looks at us as we truly are, the worst of us, the darkest parts of our hearts and souls that we wouldn't want anybody to ever see. And Jesus looks that full in the face and looks at us and says, I love you, and you're forgiven. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves you, not because of your good works. Jesus loves you, not because of your religious performance. But Jesus loves you today, just as you are. And if you would come as you are, he stands ready to radically change your life. Because when you've experienced that kind of love, friends, when Jesus loves you as you are and you know that it's all grace and that you've done nothing to earn it, guess what? It turns off the scoreboard. So when you see someone else struggling, rather than saying, yep, I'm better than them, you say, I've been there too and God can help you. So we become people who not only experience the love of God on another level, but we are able to love people on a whole new level. Church, this is what we need.
We need to have a changed heart that leads to changed lives. So when that happens, we begin to actually fulfill this mission that God's called us to fulfill. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we just come thanking you for this word, even though it's been confrontational and challenging, God. I thank you that you love us enough to be full of grace and full of truth in your word. God, that we can hear this word today, that we can recognize, that we can know that we are sinners who desperately need a Savior. God, I pray that we would just stop pretending, that we would get real with you and get real with each other in such a way that we can actually be the people you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for those in this room who may not know you today, who may not have a relationship with you. I ask that today would be the day of salvation you'd give them the boldness to respond to let them know that no amount of religious work can save them but by your grace you stand ready to make them a new creation today but Lord I pray for those who've already been saved in this room who already know you as savior that today you would just remind us and renew our love for you and our love for each other, that today would be a fresh start in our lives and an opportunity for real life change. Lord, we can love you because you first loved us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that we don't have to pretend anymore that you don't love some future version of us, but you love us today, right now. And because of that love, change is possible. Love is possible. Help us respond in the way you want us to today.